Hello and welcome back to Bulgaria Now, the weekly podcast on all things happening in Bulgaria in conjunction with the Sofia Globe. We're here once again in Sofia Tech Park. To my left, Clive Leviev Sawyer of the SofiaGlobe.com. Delighted to be here. Great to have you helping me out. And our super special guest, which we've just enjoyed a presentation from, is Joanna. Bla- I told you I'd get it wrong. Blagievska. Almost. Joanna Bagnievska. Ah, that's the one. And it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. And we've just had a fantastic time. It. We opened up with our. I'm going to set the scene really, because we were asked a question: Would we be for, against, or don't know? for trophy hunting and to give you a feel some of the audience said no way you know that's awful to shoot wonderful lions and uh, hippopotamuses and elephants and these beautiful creatures some people uh, like myself said not sure Uh, and some people may have said I think one (laughs) a couple said maybe maybe so the first question Clive actually asked uh, is from Clive can you give us the sort of the overall hypothesis of your argument today so uh, listeners can get a feeling for what we were discussing? Okay, so uh, the idea was trophy hunting, so uh, hunting where um, you don't shoot the animal for meat or for uh, ornaments or for medicine, but just for the fun of it, um, is that people pay a lot of money to do it and the money can sometimes be used for conserving a large habitat that not only protects uh, the large species that eventually might get shot, but also all sorts of other um, types of wildlife. And because uh, there's an economic incentive for people to protect these areas, they are much better kept than national parks at times, which are a drain on the national budgets of many countries. And not all countries can afford to have such national park on a large scale. So that's the argument why trophy hunting sometimes is not as evil as we make it to be. $48,000 is potentially what you pay to shoot a lion. Yes. A lot of money. That is a lot of money. But bear in mind that this money will go into the upkeep of the reserves, uh, the roads, the salaries of rangers, the maintenance of fences. And when you think about it, uh, you do require a lot of resources to raise a lion because a lion doesn't just pop out of thin air. You need a whole prey base, so you need a lot of animals that the lion will eat. These animals, in turn, will eat plants that you need to maintain. Uh, so all of a sudden, uh, footing the bill has to you know, be quite sizable. And is this successful? That's, I wasn't quite sure at the end with the private reserves where you're charging, where you're they are able to charge such sorts of money and I believe most of the clients are from North America they like their guns there don't they Um, and the prize is obviously not to typically eat the meat of a lion but to take a photograph of a dead lion yes so well from a conservation perspective it can be successful because uh, a lion gets taken once every blue moon really you don't have that many lions to to, to spare um, and a lot of the trophy hunting is done on other species like antelope or um, or sometimes elephants or, or giraffes um, 
So in a way, it is successful because large areas of land are set aside just for the wildlife to live in. And uh, this is not usual because people like to transform land into agriculture uh, or, or mining or urban development areas. Um, and so to have the opportunity to maintain these areas as they are in kind of a wild state i can't say a fully wild state because there are fences around uh, these reserves um that is a good thing for biodiversity because all sorts of other species are preserved at the same time less glamorous ones like pangolins or aardvarks or all sorts of small <laughs> brown rats that nobody uh, apart from zoologists seems to care about uh, so from that perspective it's a good thing so it's going to preserve the whole pretty much the whole natural state and that's considered a good thing. Yes, if if we think that biodiversity in itself is a is has a value, which I believe it does, then uh, then yes, uh, this this maintenance of these reserves is a very good thing. Okay, that's fascinating. I'm going to pass the mic to to Clive now because he's got a few questions. I do indeed. Uh, I wanted to get into the debates a little bit, um, which wasn't uh, covered so much in your presentation. And that's about ideal animal populations. Um, as I told you before we started recording, I come from South Africa myself. And there we have a continuing huge debate about the culling of elephants, the theory that there is some ideal population per square kilometer of, of animals. And people uh, think that this is a good idea. Other people think that there is there's nonsense, that in nature there's no such balance. You can't create it artificially. So that's the one thing I want to kind of throw out into this discussion. And the other one is... Uh, is there really any circumstance in which we can afford to lose a single endangered animal, uh, such as case of lions? Can we, if we're talking about trophy hunting, make a distinction between whether it's okay to shoot an endangered animal or not okay at all? Or can there be sort of categories that, well, you know, there are plenty of you, we can afford you to get rid of you. Uh, so be your bad luck for not being a lion. Okay, so let's take the first question. And um, with an ideal population, let's say per square kilometer, of how much you'd have of what? So in nature, you do have a balance, but it's not done in a violent way by uh, culling uh, externally. But there's constant uh, competition between species. Uh, so it's a competition for resources. Uh, so if, if, if one species is more successful at getting uh, a certain type of prey or certain plants, then they will succeed. Um, if, if they're not, they, then they will fail. And of course, you have the delicate balance of the uh, predator-prey relationship relationships which tend to fluctuate uh, you have the seasonality and that of course has a huge impact on populations so uh, if you have a dry season not much water then everything dies out but because there next year will be a, a lot of resources for the ones that survive the population will boost um, so there tends to be a cycle the problem with um, with the debate in South Africa is that because there are fences around the reserves, both um, the uh, private game reserves and the national parks, all of a sudden that balance is not exactly there because uh, if you have a, let's say, a dry season, uh, animals can't run out of the national park and seek their luck somewhere else. You have to maintain them. Um, elephants are an interesting case because they're what we call ecosystem engineers. So they are very good at completely turning an ecosystem around in a very literal sense because what they like doing is ripping trees out of the ground, flipping them upside down and eating their roots. Uh, and then after they've 
eaten the roots, they chuck the tree aside and go to the next one. So you can imagine how after an elephant uh, herd has walked through a part of a park, you can definitely tell. Uh, but that is uh, not necessarily good for other species. So um, b because they turn over these trees, animals who live in trees can't exist uh, anymore. Um, so in this case, if you have great habitats for elephants, you might not have great habitats for other species. Uh, and the other way around, if you don't have enough trees, then you might not have enough elephants. Um, so in an enclosed space, these are the issues that you have to consider. And you will always have debates on that. And it's hard to have one single opinion. I think it depends on which species you prefer personally or what you have money to, uh, to afford keeping. Um, when it comes to um, culling particular single animals for the good of the species, so to say, um, in the case of Cecil the lion, which I have mentioned in my talk, and for those of you who don't remember, it's a lion that was killed two years ago, um, and uh, it was a lion that has been researched heavily by the Wildlife Conservation Research Unit, which is where I have done my doctorate. Um, an interesting perspective was that the shooting of that lion has raised the awareness of lion conservation. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, people gave huge donations for research projects to conserve lions. And so, as horrible as it sounds, maybe Cecil just took one for the team. And, uh, and it, yes, this particular lion died, but... Uh, a lot of other lions were able to, to fully function and, and have a better life uh, because of that. I'm not saying that this is a policy that should be done with all other species. Probably you shouldn't uh, get a, an American dentist to shoot an Ethiopian wolf or, um, you know, <laughs> some other uh, animal. But uh, in, in some cases, if you take the utilitarian viewpoint of um, lesser evil or, or sacrifice one particular individual to, to save uh, a lot of others, then um, that is a, a valid, valid point. You don't have to agree with it, but it is one of the viewpoints that, that's out there. Okay. Yeah. Um, just to get back to the kind of economic side of things without taking sides in the debate, though I have my own personal view. If one takes the, if you, if you know, the total amount of money earned from trophy hunting in Africa every year, if you know that figure or have some idea, and then takes it against the total cost of in state and in private hands running the respective game reserves and national parks, because you were making the point that trophy hunting, if there is no corruption, if it's run efficiently, contributes to the upkeep and towards conservation. Uh, do you have any idea, you know, just is this a drop in the ocean because you know we have a limited number of lions that can be uh, uh, killed? Uh, is this kind of really economically significant that it's if you can make the economic argument uh, on a kind of global scale? I think it would very much depend on the area where you're where you're looking because. Um, different countries would have slightly different policies towards trophy hunting. And also, I think in South Africa, you have uh, the private game owners uh, who would be responsible for telling the tourists, you, you can shoot that lion, but not this lion, because this one has not matured yet or reproduced yet. Or, um, but in other parts of Africa, let's say in Tanzania, you have local communities who are in charge of... Uh, 
of well the animals that live alongside them and there the picture is slightly different uh, because rather than having a concrete economic incentive if uh, this money from this shot line will go into the upkeep of roads um, it's taken more as danger money for living close to these animals so um, if you imagine a, a community in Tanzania living close to a leopard or a lion and that lion is a potential danger to their children and to their livestock um, then once you know a child is killed probably the, the village will say enough is enough we want to get rid of that lion they could either go and poison it themselves or they could get a rich American to pay a lot of money to shoot their problem animal and then you have the monetary incentive but you also have the relief of not having a dangerous animal on your doorstep so I don't have the concrete figures of how much money goes in and out of trophy hunting, but uh, you'd have to look at it from different scenarios from different countries. Presumably these parks don't just get their money from tro trophy hunting, they get it from the uh, photographic uh, tourism. You can hunt with a, um, uh, an anaesthetic dart as well, which seemed like the, you know, the eco-friendly way to uh, have your fun and... Uh, have your cake and eat it, but not eat it in this case, uh, just to enjoy uh, <laughs> yes. shooting an animal if you like such uh, doing such things and the animal wakes up and uh, or, or everyone's ha everyone seems to be happy at any rate. But I, you pay less money for that, I, I believe. Yes, uh, um, yes. Um, so there are ups and downs. Of course, uh, the f uh, photography, that's a very good option because um, the, the animals are unharmed. Um, the downside is that it doesn't generate as much money and also you will need, because of that, many more tourists coming in. Many more tourists would mean many more cars or many more feet trampling the uh, habitat. You will need a bigger infrastructure. You will need a different type of infrastructure because photography would be a much more family-oriented type of tourism instead of hunting, which is uh, probably a certain demographic. Uh, just so politically that. correct there. Why can't you yes. just say <laughs> a Hicksville American... Uh, I wanted to say a certain well, presidential son. Yes, a dentist. Kings do it as well. Yeah, <laughs> Spanish. Uh, yes, um, but 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 because photography is much more family friendly, you have to have a stable political situation in a country. You have to have good access to the airport, good transport, good roads, good hotels. Uh, you are unlikely to uh, to go with your five year old into a tent in the middle of leopard territory. Um, so that also takes its toll on the ecosystem because if you want to have strawberries for breakfast they will not appear in the middle of the bush you have to ship them from somewhere um, so again there are ups and downs uh, with what is known as green hunting so uh, shooting with an anesthetic uh, usually for a conservation project so you, you will uh, use that anesthetic um, uh, to shoot an animal that then has a radio collar fitted or, or is used for research in, in other ways uh, so that we can find out more about a particular pride or a particular herd um, that could be viable but uh, it's a it's a delicate matter because again n not that much money is paid um, secondly you want to make sure that it's done correctly because you don't want uh, 
a hunter that doesn't know what what he's doing to shoot a, a, a research lion in the eye, let's say, with with a, with a an anesthetic dart. That's that's really not how things should uh, look. Uh, so researchers are very conscious of the welfare of these animals, and also there aren't that many research projects that uh, that would allow uh, people to do that. So in theory, it's an option, but again, under very very strict circumstances. Now, you mentioned poaching. I mean, this is a very sensitive topic. I mean, we, you mentioned actually the use of uh, horn for um, uh, making people horny, um, uh, rather than use Viagra or Cialis or anything you can buy in the Aptica uh, that will do the same job. But apparently, um, where these sort of potions are made, they don't necessarily believe that the... the um, What's the word? The synthetic version is better than the, uh, yes. the horn, the yes. rhino's horn. Yes, uh, it's. Uh, so this trade is still going on, oh, isn't yes, it? Of course. So poaching for traditional medicine is a huge, huge trade, and it's sad to what lengths people will go to treat their impotence, um, because uh, because of that, uh, the numbers of rhinos have declined very steeply because that's what rhino horn is used for. Because of that, you have. Uh, uh, trawling of the bottoms of the sea uh, for sea cucumbers because I think the idea is if it's shaped like a sea cucumber it will work in curing impotence um, and then you know pangolin scales so pangolins for those of you who don't know what they are they look like a, a cross between a football and a pine cone they're a, a mammal that rolls up into a ball shape and it has little scales that uh, are apparently very useful for all treating all sorts of diseases, uh, and and right now um, the pangolins from Asia are pretty much gone. So uh, so the trade has turned to the pangolins in, in Africa, and because they were not very well studied before, because nobody cared about this pinecone strange animal. We don't even know what we're losing. We could have a lot of pangolins to start off with, or we could have had very few, and they're just running out very quickly. Um, and to me, it's quite incredible how how this trade is still going on, especially in a world which is overpopulated to start off with. Very sad to see. Anyhow, Clive, you have another question. Uh, just, a, just a very brief one. Um, it's again back to the point of, of self-defense of local communities and also, as we know, the parts of the world, I think, where, where the Eskimos live and so forth, where uh, they're actually allowed to, to kill animals for their own needs, for food and so forth. But I think, isn't it a bit of a complex part of the debate uh, that if communities are allowed to kill animals for self-defense, uh, you raise the point that, you know, then they could invite a trophy hunter to come and they benefit as well. Uh, they might also, because they don't necessarily, you know, go online and find a trophy hunter, they might also just get a poacher. So I just want to throw this out as a kind of, you know, complex part of, the, of that debate, difficult part of the debate, and ask you to respond. Oh, yes. Um, people who live alongside dangerous animals will try to get rid of these animals. And if they can find a, an external person who pays a lot of money, they will. But if they, if they don't, then they, the, the safety of their families and the safety of their livelihood is a priority and um, when I talk to my students especially their, the, the first years they come to study zoology with this perspective of animals are good and people are bad and in conservation we have to save animals at all costs and the, the people come second but in conservation that doesn't really work like this you have to consider the human factor and 
because the world is being a much more populated place, uh, the encounters between people and wildlife will be more and more frequent. And we have to learn to deal with them. Uh, and of course, there are ways of repelling uh, animals from farms or uh, or from 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 uh, households. But um, some of these are expensive. Uh, it's not always viable to to maintain. And and people who are threatened by wildlife will become more and more resentful towards it. And this will not help conservation projects. When you you got a little baby boy or girl? A, a girl. Girl. Yes. I've got a nine month old baby boy. And imagine if any of our offspring are eaten by a live animal. Then I'd like to cast your mind to modern-day Sofia. We have wild dogs here that have, in the past, I believe killed a baby and certainly caused problems and indeed mauled and killed an elderly man. That's just two I know of. And we've still got this problem, despite government... Uh, I know I'm changing the subject a bit, but I just want to balance it all, because... I was thinking exactly the same thing. Beautiful animals, why would you ever want to kill them? But I suspected there was a, you know, it's more complex, the devil's in the detail here. And then, as you were just saying, we've got this problem right now in Sofia. In, in a modern capital, we have got uh, many people who are scared to walk around, particularly in the neighbourhood where I am in, and it's terrible. It's a massive reduction in quality of life, despite massive amounts of money, people mentioning to neuter these dogs and stuff. I guess if they did their job properly, then they would have no more money to continue doing it, that one could, one could argue. And then you turn to our favourite town in, um, in Bulgaria, and it's called Plovdiv, around about an hour and a half away, have you? Yes. And legend has it, um, one night, the residents, they had the same problem, the residents went out, and cold, the wild dogs and there is no problem there or virtually no problem there right now and uh, you know most people would say absolutely the worst thing in the world to kill a dog you know <laughs> in fact Please, what, what do you think um i'll take i'll take one further uh, so so at oxford we're, you know in the in the research unit where people studied human wildlife conflict with lions and leopards and jaguars and all that there was an issue when we found a mouse in our in our building because the most instinctive thing to do would be to set a mouse trap and get rid of the problem. And then we had a moment of reflection, thinking, how can we tell people not to live alongside lions if we can't deal with our own little mouse? Uh, so, so, so the mouse was trapped and released far, far away, but it's much easier to do that with a mouse than with a lion. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm just add, Lance doesn't actually know this, uh, but... 35, 36 years ago, uh, my cousin in Zimbabwe was was eaten by a crocodile. Um, and much as I loved him, I've never held this against crocodiles. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't. We're not laughing. This is an absolute tragic um, thing to have happened. Uh, awful. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I, and I think people really need to think about this. And I think that's why I threw it in about the the dogs because there's this huge. Uh, animal welfare concerns here in Bulgaria particularly traditionally I would argue I think correctly that perhaps not everybody looked after their animals so wonderfully economic problems meant they could not look after them which probably caused the problem in the first but the problem we've got now of wild dogs uh, breeding whole packs of them roaming the roaming parts of uh, Sofia in particular and it's complicated isn't it it really is uh, and, and, you know, on the other hand, you know, no one, well, most people, the vast majority of the people, they see pictures of a 
an injured dog or anything your heart goes out to it they raise money and they save it and you know and, and it's a bit like the mouse story I had in the office that, that amuses me you know um, one little mouse everyone goes crazy you know? yeah. um, so um, complex issues on something that you would have thought I think when you started off your presentation so simple you, you know one should ban trophy hunting isn't it terrible rich Americans shooting but actually potentially not you know money has to be raised these environments and it potentially argument argument to have loads of tourists milling around with their cameras you know walking over all the wildlife is not such a great idea relative to the yes. occasional lion being killed um it's 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 and it's about money isn't it you know these things don't look after themselves yes if we want to conserve wildlife i'm sorry but we have to pay for it uh, it's it's just part of life. These, you know, we can't expect other people to live alongside dangerous animals and be happy about that. And who are we sitting in Europe uh, in our comfortable little buildings uh, to tell other people to suffer? So we we have to we have to give them some sort of an incentive. And and for most people, fortunately or unfortunately, money is a very good incentive. Mm, agreed. Yuan, let's let's lighten the conversation a bit. And um, you said you you've been to Plovdiv before, have you? Yes, eleven years ago. Okay, what was that uh, to do with? Uh, oh, after my undergrad, I um, I went on a grand tour of the Balkans, and I spent some time in in Plovdiv and in Pazarjik of all places, and in uh, and I spent a day in Sofia as well. Oh, very so. good. You're, you. Got some Polish in you, is that correct? Uh, all, all of me is Polish. All is actually. Polish, yes. Yes. And you studied um, in which university? Did you say? Um, I did my first degree at Jacobs University in Bremen, and then I went on to to Oxford uh, to do my masters and my doctorate. Oh, wonderful! You've got a wonderful English accent. This is going to sound wonderful. Um, <laughs> Why? Thank you. You must have got that at Oxford. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Ten and a half years living in, in Oxford. <laughs> Everybody changes their <laughs> yes. accent once they go to yes. Oxford or yes. Cambridge How University. <laughs> So, what now for you? Are you going to continue this uh, theme or are you moving um, into other areas? So, my actual area of specialization within conservation biology is slightly different. So, I work on invasive species. So, these are species that have been brought from one area to another, either intentionally or unintentionally by humans. Such and as mink. For such as mink. That is actually my, uh, that, that was the theme of my doctoral thesis. Uh, so I looked at um, what the American mink does in the UK to the wildlife there. Terrible things, terrible things. Um, but should we really, now they're in the wildlife, do anything about it? Should we be killing mink? Because they were let out by people who yes. were uh, determined to free the mink from their cages and of course cause far more suffering to potentially wildlife than any little farm mink uh, would have ever done. Yes, uh, yes, that's right. And it's... Again, like with most conservation biology issues, it's a very, very complex problem. Because, let's be honest, it's not the fault of the mink that it happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, it's our fault and we have to take responsibility. And unfortunately, the way that we take responsibility is to get rid of, of the, the animals that we brought. Um, and so we make animals suffer because uh, of our own stupidity. But it's also raising awareness of telling people not to bring exotic animals and exotic plants into new places. Um, but that would have been okay, surely, because that was a North American mink bred in the UK, 
Then what could go wrong? What could, <laughs> except everyone thought Mink was terrible, and there was Bridget Bardot and all the arrest. You know, yes. there was a big poster campaign in the UK, and it was very powerful that eventually got mink farming banned in yes. the UK. Any fur farming is any, banned in the any, UK I think right Fox now. Fox and everything yes. else, yes. and a few other countries in Europe have started yes, that. Yes, um, I mean, the UK is quite lucky in a way because it's an island. So if you wanted to get rid of a particular species, you at least have a finite territory to, to work with. So from what I know, um, Britain had koipu. Uh, it's it's a kind of big uh, rodent. It looks like a small beaver and it, it sits in the water and, um, and it was used for, for uh, industry as well. Um, and the Brits uh, exterminated koipu uh, from, from uh, the islands. It's originally from South America, I think. Uh, but if you were to do it in mainland Europe, because all these countries are connected, if you have a species that is found in one country, it's likely to go to another because animals move. That's what they do. Um, and so it's uh, sometimes the, the issue of what is invasive and what isn't uh, is quite um, wishy-washy. So in the south of Europe, you have jackals. But now, because of climate change, the jackals are found further north. So you can find them as far north as the Czech Republic and even Poland. And you think, is it invasive? It has walked there on its own feet. Um, nobody has really brought the jackals in. But how do you, where do you put the legislation? Uh, do you treat it as an invasive or do you treat it as a native all of a sudden? And can't nature just adapt to this new aggressor, perhaps? Like, because mink... Oh. I don't know what the result of your thesis was. Maybe you can tell us. Oh, well, uh, not necessarily just my thesis, but the bulk of research on mink is how terrible it is for native birds um, because mink are very apt predators and they can literally decimate colonies of ground-nesting seabirds. And so you think it's not mink's fault for being in the wrong place at the wrong time, but it's also not the bird's fault that all of a sudden they have a predator which used to not be there. Um, and so you think, okay, mink are not endangered, but some of these birds are. So how do we work on protecting these birds? Well, something's got to give. And unfortunately, it's uh, it's not a pleasant thing to think about, but, but one of these species will have to go. Either, either the birds are going to go extinct or, or the mink will have to be culled. They say in the UK, we've got a lot of rabbits. And... I, I don't know when I read this, but um, where I used to be in the UK, there were rabbits everywhere. And they said that if we culled rabbits, ate the rabbits, actually, what do I mean? Shoot them or whatever you do to rabbits, catch them, whatever. It's very eco because these things are in the wild anyhow. They're not consuming any resources that have grown on the land and consume energy and all that stuff. And that we should be eating rabbit. Is, is, was that really uh, serious or was it going to be too expensive to do because um, it's cheaper to farm? Is it cheaper to farm? I don't know. I don't know. When, when you farm an animal, you have to provide all its food. Um, so you have to pay for the food. You have to pay for the housing. Somebody has to clean the cages. Uh, whereas a rabbit taken from the wild costs you as much as a bullet to shoot it. So it's probably cheaper to have wild rabbit. If you think about it, the wild rabbit would have had a much happier life in Might. the wild. And provided that you kill it very quickly with one shot, it would be, from a welfare perspective, much, much better. But uh, people are not 
as likely to eat wild rabbits as they are uh, to eat farmed beef. So, <laughs> it's changing it's, taste, isn't it? I mean, we yes, maybe the new hipster dish will be rabbit stew or, or something like that. But uh, yeah, if you if you do, I, I would say if you if it's not an endangered species, if it has had a pre- pretty de- decent life and it it had a, a clean, quick death, then it's much much better than to have a farmed. Just on the rabbit point here in Bulgaria. There's a lot of um, people do their own thing. They grow their own vegetables and you have your own livestock, including rabbits. So I mention this because we were given a rabbit uh, last month. And you don't want it anymore. No, 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 I do. I love it. I cooked it and I didn't tell people what it was and they enjoyed it. They thought thought it was chicken and I said at the end, you've just had rabbit and uh, bunny rabbit. And uh, it was actually just over Easter, can you believe? (laughs) How morbid. (laughs) How morbid, isn't it? Uh, That's life. So, um, Clive. A question. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, speaking of rabbits, we'll stay with, we'll stay with the bunny theme. Uh, we all remember back in, in Australia in the 1960s, you know, because they had this tremendous rabbit problem. Uh, they introduced myxomatosis, which then, of course, made it a very emotional thing because the rabbits died in a fairly horrible way. Uh, I also heard, and I'm not an expert, uh, that apparently there's some kind of stray cat problem in Australia as well, and they have chaps who go off and hunt uh, cats and kill them. Uh, And I must interject that I am a passionate cat lover. And that's precisely part of it, isn't it? That if we were to say, you know, there's a tremendous rat problem in Sofia, so we have to poison everything and send out squads, whatever, and people with balaclavas and clubs kill all the rats, because who likes rats? I like rats. I'm sorry. (laughs) I like small rodents, yes. You're you're more or less a minority. I think my mother-in-law would debate you on the question of rodents uh, but a huge part of this debate is not rational you're trying to make it rational you're trying to present the points but a huge part is, is emotion we love rabbits um, live ones I love cats so I find the idea of killing off excess cats completely appalling but if you say to me we're going to have to kill 10,000 rats in Sofia I wouldn't care isn't this part of the problem of the debate is that it's been informed by emotion not by rationality yes of course but it's very natural for people Disney. to be emotional this is this is part of life. It's who we are. We're not robots. We're you know we have our feelings, uh, but uh, you coming from South Africa and loving uh, uh, cats and rabbits is very different to to what you would um, hear from an Australian. Uh, Australians hate rabbits, and they they don't really like cats that much. The feral cats, at least, they do keep their own uh, pets uh, at home. So that's a different thing, obviously. But uh, yeah, but they they love their native wildlife, and they think, well, if you can have uh, a, a bilby or a, a, a little wallaby or or any sort of weird Australian native animal or another rabbit, then let's give the Aussie mammals a chance. Uh, or in New Zealand, they hate all mammals because they're into birds. Their native animals are birds and they're flightless birds because they've evolved without predators. So if you want to get rid of any sort of pest animals, you always um, bring in a squad from New Zealand who is heartless and ruthless and, and it will get rid of any mammal for you. The the Kiwis are wonderful people, but <laughs> but when it comes to pest and control, they're the best. In law for rodents, rats. <laughs> Look on this topic. Um, we've got to end. We could chat forever. I hopefully you've opened my mind to this delicate subject uh, that's. 
complex, has detail, has nuance, it has emotion, as you say. And please comment on the Sofia Globe in SoundCloud, wherever you find this podcast. Let us know what you think about this topic, because it's complex, isn't it? And uh, we'll, uh, hopefully we'll pass you where the comments are and maybe you can reply. Okay, um, it would be you, my pleasure. Uh, you're better qualified than certainly uh, I am. Uh, Joanna, thank you so much for being on the show. We, we, we want you back. Um, this is great. And, <laughs> thank you, it's um, my pleasure. Thank you for coming. Thank you, listener, for making it to the end. We're a little bit longer than normal. And uh, Clive, any parting words? Uh, no, just the vote of thanks. Sofia Science Festival, of course, and Polish Institute for uh, the role in bringing uh, Joanna out to Bulgaria. It's wonderful. Great science festival here at the Sofia Tech Park. My name is Lance Nelson, and uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye for now.